Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here, bringing you another episode of the Rad Dads Show. Today, we're bringing you a chat with David Gillis, who some of you may know as The Beef. David's a teacher by day, but is likely best known from his time playing guitar with the legendary Winnipeg band, Propagandy. David left Propagandy a few years ago to pursue his teaching career, but he's still active with his band Agassi and his newest hobby-turned-obsession, Strange Earth Guitars, where he's been honing his guitar-building skills, creating unique guitars with a focus on sustainable and environmentally conscious materials. But most importantly, David's also a dad to a five-year-old daughter. I really appreciated David's openness and honesty during our conversation. He and I talked about his difficult adjustment to becoming a dad and coming to terms with the loss of control that comes with that. We also talked about how neat it is to see some of your personality traits emerge in your child and in that, being able to understand their thought processes and instincts that much better. David also shared a really cool approach to teaching that he uses in parenting, focusing less on imparting knowledge and focusing more on giving your children experiences and facilitating their curiosity as a way for them to learn. Of course, we also talked about Agassi and some new material coming out from them in the near future, which is really exciting, and we dove into David's guitar building obsession too. So without further delay, let's get into it. Here's David Gillis on The Rad Dad Show. So David, thanks for joining me on The Rad Dad Show. I'm going to start the way we always do. Who are you? I'm David, David Gillis. Um, Many people know me as Beeve. I used to play in the band Propagandy as a guitar player. Since then, I've become a teacher. I'm now a teacher and also a dad. Right. And you're you're doing uh, one other new project as well lately. Oh, the guitar guitar building. Guitars, yeah. That's become a bit of an obsession. That's uh, something I'm really passionate about. And uh, uh, any spare time I have in my pretty busy life, I devote to that. And I've got some uh, ambitions. Uh, you know, I'm just it's something I'm really interested in. And, uh, and I really love, I really love doing it. Yeah. So um, we'll, maybe we'll get back to that in a little bit. I, so I want to find out. So how many kids do you have? I have one kid. She's, um, she's six years old. Just turned six. Okay. Oh, right on. Um, I have a five-year-old daughter, so she'll be six and at the end of the year. So we're kind of in the same, same zone there. Yeah. Kindergarten. Yeah. So how, yeah. How's, how are you guys managing with um, like the whole COVID thing? And I, I guess first year of school would have been mm-hmm. a COVID year. Yeah. Well, that's how, did right. that, how did that go? You know, I think through this all, we've been pretty privileged and pretty, pretty lucky. Uh, we've stayed healthy. And um, Catherine, my daughter, she's an only child, but kind of just born to be an only child in okay. many ways. Just, uh, you know, she's got friends and she's quite happy to be with friends, but she's also has been managing quite well, relatively speaking, through all of this. You know, it's not easy for a six-year-old to be uh, at home with adults for s- so much of the time. But, you know, all in all, can't, can't really complain. We've been, you know, knocking wood, been been lucky so far yeah that's kind of the the key right like staying healthy that's the primary thing and hopefully we just kind of get through this so I I, like as father of a kid of a similar age um like I found it really amazing how like just adaptable they are to this whole thing my daughter at least like she she's like she gets it she talks about yeah and she knows she's got to wear the mask and it's just not a thing 
Yes, likewise with our daughter. She, uh, <laughs> some of the things she says is kind of like, oh yeah, maybe we should be a little more careful talking around the dinner table because not all of us are in our 40s here. There's a six-year-old here. Right. Um, but, you know, I feel for kids and I feel for her because, yeah. I mean, this is going on over a year now. And for a five-year-old, six-year-old, as my daughter is, that's a big chunk of her life. Yeah living like this and uh you know it's hard it's hard for kids and it's, you know it's uh and in, in my classroom i teach grade five and grade six again i just see such resilience from the kids but oh man it's just got to be so tough to be a yeah. kid right? that social aspect is like huge right at, at this point there i mean it really is like throughout like um and and for everybody i shouldn't like minimize it and just say it's about kids but for sure with kids it's it's amazing. I don't know, like you're in Winnipeg, right? So yes. I'm in Edmonton, similar type of climate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure kids are excited to be getting outside more now and getting to at least go run around with other kids a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. As long as the weather <laughs> cooperates. I don't know about it in Edmonton, but it's been up and down here in Winnipeg. It has been here too. It's been pretty nice the last little bit. I heard there's more snow coming, but no surprise. Oh, yay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is the Rad Dad show. Are you, are you a rad dad? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask my daughter. It's funny. I asked my daughter. I asked her, do you, am I a rad dad? And she said, well, yes, of course. And I, I asked her, can I record you? Can I record you saying that? And I'll play it. And she refused. So I have no proof. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I try. I take I take the job seriously. I try my best, but I'm... I'm winging it. I'm learning as I go. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough job with many rewards. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So like, if I flipped the question around and asked you, what are the traits of a rad dad? If you're kind of looking out and, and deciding on what those characteristics are, what would you say? I think that's a tough one, but I like what I, what I know as a dad and also as a teacher, teacher more I guess more so as a dad though is to just be present right Not, uh, meaning like get down in your kids world and experience their world with them and for me I find all the other mistakes I make as long as I make an effort to be present and to experience my daughter's world with her which isn't always about me trying to impart my knowledge and things like that. It's like getting down in there and asking the questions with her and, and wondering with her and um, playing with her and discovering. I think that's the baseline and whatever happens after that is great, but I think uh, that's the place to start. And that's where you start. That's where you form those connections and the connection is, is key. Just kind of getting, down on the floor, being right there with them, experiencing what they're experiencing, whatever that is. Yeah, and even if it's not your thing, I mean, my daughter, for example, she's interested in all kinds of things that has never been part of my world. And uh, it's just so amazing. I get to experience the world through a different lens and uh, it's enriching for me. Uh, and I learn a lot from her by doing so. And uh, for me, I think that's like one of the joys of being a parent. So what are some of those things? Like what's changed about you um, from being a dad? Um, well, many things. I think maybe the biggest change for me, um, I spent most of my life cultivating a very sort of isolated existence. Um, I'm you know, an introverted person. 
but also just, especially as a younger dude, uh, kind of a fearful person socially. And so I just put up these barriers and these walls and have been pretty guarded. And uh, Catherine has kind of torn those walls down a little bit. And, uh, and it's, that's been a good thing in my life. It's been hard. It's been really hard. Like some of these, those personal changes that I had to make just through necessity, um, especially that first year, uh, it's just really tough. But, you know, I don't know where I heard this, but, you know, I always tell myself, if it's not difficult, that means you're not growing, right. you know, that it's the difficulties in life and how you respond to them. That's how you grow. And, and I think I've learned that from my daughter in some, in some ways. And so like, what were some of those things you kind of um, mentioned that first year was especially hard. So like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like what, what was hard about it? Well, the big thing was timing. My timing was terrible because I uh, became, we became parents at the exact same time that I left propaganda and became a teacher. Right. So I was 36. And so I'd spent my entire adult life, many years being pretty self-centered um, pursuing my own self-interests, not really having any sort of responsibility <laughs> other than keeping myself alive. And then all of a sudden I've got this baby. And as much as I try to prepare myself for her arrival, it's just like you hit the ground running and I, it was tough. Um, and, and on top of that, I was a teacher. It's a job I'm not suited to by nature i'm you know it's a it's an extrovert's game and i'm an introvert and it's just super tough so those two things combined having all these kids in my life all of a sudden it was profoundly difficult that that first year but um you know all the cliches are true you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and and i'm doing good now so so what i'm curious what drew you to teaching you said it wasn't kind of a natural yeah, you don't feel like it's a natural fit for you, but you must like it and something drew. Yeah, you. I don't know what drew to you know. I used to sometimes joke about myself and my life, like just being a garbage bag floating on the wind, and I just go wherever <laughs> the garbage blows or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think just being in the band, there was a time where the future seemed a little uncertain, and so I started thinking like, oh, I better think of a backup plan here. And so I already had a degree, and I figured, well. I'd already been teaching a bit of guitar lessons. So I had a bit okay. of, that was maybe my entry into the profession. And I just went to school and one thing led to another, all of a sudden I was offered a job and, and that was kind of it. But it was not something I've ever, I never thought in a million years. If you had asked me when I was 25, would you ever be a teacher? I'd just see, what are you talking about? No way, but here I am. And I'm, I guess a really tough job for me, but I, it's rewarding and I've grown a lot. Um, almost has killed me a couple of times. It's, it's, yeah. it's tough, but um, yeah, I'm, it's rewarding as I say, and I'm glad I'm doing it. And did you, did, did I read somewhere that you sort of teach inner city? Is that right? Yeah. It's downtown in Winnipeg. Yeah. Okay. So any kind of unique um, aspects there that, you know, or things that opened your eyes there that maybe you bring home as, as a dad uh, from your, your teaching experiences? Yeah, I guess one thing I can speak to is, you know, I think we all hear in the news here in Canada, I'm sure Edmonton's the same, you know, we hear about child poverty yeah. and we know it's an issue. And, but I've, I've, but having seen it in some students I've taught over the years, 
it, like it's a crisis beyond what most people are aware of. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's appalling and shocking how much of a crisis it is. I mean, you know, and so there's kids that have needs that are not being met. Needs such as security and, and love and things like that, or even just base, you know, food security. And so these kids struggle in the system and the education system. And then you have governments that think the answer to everything is, what do you know, like standardized tests or whatnot. And then no one's really addressing the problem, which is poverty. And anyway, so juxtaposing that, I think I just mispronounced that word. (laughs) Got it. I'm following. (laughs) Juxtaposing that against my own privileged life and my daughter who doesn't have those barriers. Right. You know, it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking and I'm grateful for my own life and my daughter's experiences. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I get to see both worlds and uh, yeah, it breaks the heart a little bit. Yeah, get, helps give you some perspective too, hey? Like, um, so I think we were chatting sort of offline at one point, I mentioned, so Christian's a teacher and he has done some um, kind of inner city type um, stuff as well. Um, I worked inner city, I'm a pharmacist, I worked inner city pharmacy for a long time and got to see some of that firsthand as well. Um, And certainly, yeah, helps give you a little bit of perspective um, when you're, you know, losing your cool over, I don't know, like, I didn't fill up my gas tank with gas last night. And, you know, like, that's your biggest problem of the day. And then um, to encounter people daily who, you know, just having a roof over their head or, you know, enough food to eat is a challenge. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Although it's hard to maintain that perspective all the time, right? You kind of get lost in your own world too. Well, for sure. And we all, I mean, we're all human and we all struggle and all of our struggles are real. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't mean to diminish any of the struggles that any of us feels. It's just um, some people struggle profoundly just to, you know, basic needs. And yeah. uh, as a kid, it's, it's impossible to, to learn. Um, oh, what's it called? We learn this in education. It's, uh, it's a, there's a hierarchy of needs anyways. And, and love is in there security as well as, you know, food and water and all that. I'm thinking like and Maslow's pyramid or something. That sounds that about right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, if those needs aren't met, then the, the, the higher level needs such as education can't really happen. Right. Learning can happen. And so that's what we need to address as a society. Um, yes. So, um, you kind of mentioned that you, that first year was especially hard for you. It sounds like kind of, um, and I think this is pretty common, but am I right in interpreting it that like you kind of losing that sense of self almost a little bit or, or trying to figure out what that new redefined sense of self is when you've gone from selfish. And I think this is like really common, right? Because most people would have kids in their twenties or thirties, and maybe it's their forties, but either way, you've spent a lot of time just being worried about you. Um, So how, like thinking, I guess, back to five years ago, like, how did you come to terms with that? Were there any sort of aha moments or any things that you sort of did to try and address that? Was it a conscious thing? Um, partly yes, partly no. Part of it was just hanging in there, (laughs) trusting that, trusting that. And and I should say, I, you know, very supportive partner who really was instrumental in getting me through all, all of that. That was huge. 
uh, speaking with friends such as uh, Chris, in, um, who I used to play with in Propagandi. I remember asking him for a bit of advice because one of the things, I mean, this isn't everything, but for me, and it's <clears throat> from my conversation with Chris, it sounded like with him as well, babies, when you have a, a child, babies, the, the, the rewards of parenthood aren't immediately mm-hmm. present. Um, meaning that you got this, this creature who's utterly dependent on parents for survival, uh, but they don't speak. They, they don't, you know, um, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm not really saying it properly, but it's like the payback for lack of a better word is, yeah. is immediate. And I remember Chris saying like, you just, you gotta stay there, be present. And you put in those hours. And then when your kid is old enough to share their personality, you're there and you've made that connection. And like hearing him say that um, helped for sure. And, and speaking with other friends as well uh, helped get through it. Like just to hear that this is normal, the way you're feeling. That too. Yeah, that too. I have to be honest with that first year trying to think back on it. And maybe this is why I'm having a hard time articulating it. It's a blur. Yeah. It was, it was really tough. And <laughs> I think part of my psyche has sort of put it on a double <laughs> shelf to never Block think about it, out. it because it was really hard to get through. Yeah. It's all, yeah. And I, I totally identify with that. Like, I'm not sure I've really talked about it that much before, but like, oh, I don't know if, is it like even just that bonding, like maybe you don't feel that bonded to your child yet. And then you feel guilty about that. And then it's just this whole cycle of, you know, you don't, you don't maybe know that that's maybe a normal feeling and it will get better. Right. And so how do you, yeah, without, I think that support network is really important, right. To hear from other people, like they've had a similar experience. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, that, that first year is really tough. So I've got two, um, my, one of my, my oldest daughter's five, my youngest is two. Um, but you sort of like go through that again, the second time, you know, in, in our case, I felt like that second time was so much easier for that. I think for that reason, I realized like, okay, this is really tough right now, yeah. but it's going to get better. Right. And then once they're able to communicate with you and, yeah, you know, you can talk to each other, communicate in some way, it makes a big difference. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it too can depend. Um, like, I think it's tough for dads in that way too. And that those early um, months because the baby's so physically connected to the mom too. Right. So, um, that can be part of it as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's like a, a physical connection and a physical need between mm-hmm. the baby and, and mom in those early days. And, um, yeah, we, like, we went through it together. There was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress and worry about, you know, is this going the way it's supposed to be going? And, is it normal that she's crying this much? And you know, all those, all those fears. Yeah. I definitely remember a couple of trips to the emergency department where we get there and the doctors are just like, yeah, she's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Likewise, better safe than sorry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Don't know. Um, What are the most rewarding aspects of being a father? Well, I mean, I think I spoke to, one aspect already about just the the joy of connecting and the joy of, I guess on a selfish level, the joy of learning about yourself 
through this part of you that's becoming their own person. And uh, the joy of just watching their personality bloom, you know, that's, that's so rewarding. Mm -hmm. Also for me, I was adopted and uh, I've met my biological parents 10 or 12 years ago or so. And that was really a neat experience because I have never in my life, um, like no one in my life or anyone I love is like, there's no biological connection. And I never thought there was anything to that. I just thought, well, because I had a good upbringing and loving parents. But then when my daughter was born, I realized like, oh no, there's something to that, to that flesh and blood connection. And uh, like that's been really powerful for me to, you know, I see myself in my daughter. I see myself on someone else for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really neat to see her, you know, she's, she has her own personality and she's her own person fiercely. So, <laughs> um, but it is cool to see yourself in, in someone else, you know, and to feel that cellular connection for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, there that, definitely, definitely is something there for sure. It's hard to kind of put your finger on it or quantify it, but you know, outside of maybe you have similar like appearance in some ways or something like that, but. Um, even certain like tendencies and certain like ways of, my partner Mandy and I talk about this sometimes and sometimes my daughter will react to something and I just like, oh, I, I get that. I understand that hundred percent. Whereas Mandy might not. And then vice versa. Like sometimes Catherine will react in a way where I just don't get it, but Mandy gets it because that, you know, she's exerting different aspects of what she's inherited from us. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of, so you mentioned you were adopted. So what was your relationship with your adoptive father? Like, uh, complicated, okay. <laughs> but very, you know, he was a loving, very present person in my life for, well, for, you know, for my whole life, but as he kind of dropped out of the, dropped out of the picture a little bit, I suppose, once I became an adolescent, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy, easy to beg on your parents for the mistake they make. And I don't think I want to do that too much here, but uh, especially now being a dad myself, I know I've made mistakes and I will make mistakes. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can learn from our own mistakes, but also maybe from the mistakes that the ones that have come before us have made. Yeah. So, you know? yeah. So is there, is there like anything you sort of taken from your relationship with your dad that um, you kind of apply in your parenting, anything conscious that you really think about there? I think a lot of like time spent. I've, I think I've taken it a bit from him, like time spent with, I mean, I have memories of him, you know, building me a, a tree house, for example. Mm -hmm. That was great. However, like he never let me touch his tools. <laughs> <laughs> That's something to this day I resent because like, um, like, why wouldn't really? he let me touch his tools? I'm so interested and he just wouldn't let me. You know, so I'm grateful for the time I, I got to, I spent with him and I've learned, I've also learned like, just let your kids play with their tools. It's okay. Just um, don't be so guarded and so uh, controlling. I think yeah. that's part of it, you know, don't, ex I mean, your kids are learning. They're going to pick up a, I'm using tools as an example, but it could be anything, you know, cooking, chopping, a, for example, this, this evening I was making supper with my yeah. daughter. She wanted to chop the vegetables and my, my, my 
first instinct reaction is like, no, because you cut the way you cut those cucumbers is just absurd. And yeah. <laughs> but then of course it's like, well, no, like she this is time well spent with each other. Let her cut the dang cucumbers. And who cares if they looked all mangled and disgusting? It's uh, you know, we're spending time together and right. that's more important than than anything, you know. So that's something I, you know, I learned from my dad. Spending time with each other is important. And also let your ego go a little bit. Just let your kids experience things and it's okay if if they don't do it right the first 20 times, you know. It's it's hard as a, a parent to give up that control, I think. And and part of that might go back to, you know, all that time you spent just focusing on yourself and always having control over the situation, right? So um, I can relate to that a little bit because I'm definitely like a type A perfectionist kind of person. And even in some of the things you're saying, I'm just like, yeah, I, I've i definitely done that, right? Where I'm just like, no, like, don't touch that. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to, you know, <laughs> and you, yeah, you do have to kind of step back and think, well, they need to have those experiences, right? And who better to show them? Yeah. And I also try, and I've, I've learned this from um, when I first started teaching, I was really lucky to have this amazing uh, mentor. Her name's uh, Cheryl Zubrak. Um, and she kind of was trying to um, teach me this in inquiry approach to learning where it's like, it's not about top down. It's not about imparting your knowledge into another person or to a student but it's yeah. about like fostering those experiences and curiosities and you know knowledge building within and learning from mistakes and like like the process and i learned so much from her and uh that's informed me so much i think as a parent as well because it's so easy you want to just um you know especially at the age of our daughters kindergarten this is the age when you know, literacy starts and, and the reading, and then you start, right. you know, the neighbor's kids are already reading a certain level and you get this competitive feeling and this worry, like, well, oh, are my kids falling behind, you know? And yeah, I try to fight that because uh, my daughter's going to learn how to read. <laughs> if it happens right now or in a year, like, does it really matter? And I'd rather her discover reading and I'd rather her discover it, you know, with me and, 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 and my partner Mandy and us helping her and guiding her, but I don't want it to become all about drills and like doing it because you're supposed to and all that. Like it's complicated and it's not always easy. And some days I am like, ah, oh, it's just be easier to just give her a drill or something here. But uh, I'm really trying to, I'm trying to help her uh, kind of be her own learner and not do it for extrinsic reasons, but in right. intrinsically being motivated to, to, you know, discover the joy of it herself. Yeah. And like, it's like, once they have that aha moment, it's like, it totally changes, right? We've been going through the same thing with reading where yeah. we're supposed to sit down and read some books on this app every night. And like, she'll get so frustrated that, you know, she almost starts crying and it's like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. this should not be the experience. And, you know, we talked to the teacher and the teacher was like, yeah, definitely just take a break. Right. Like don't force it. Um, but you do feel that, I don't know if it's like competitive, but you certainly like worry, like, are they where they're supposed to be? Like, should I be doing something differently? Did I screw her up? Did I, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Cause we want our kids to um, excel and reading is a very important skill. Yeah. And I want her to, because she just loves 
books and stories. And I mean, if she had her way, we would just read her stories all day. And I just can't wait for her to discover the, the empowering feeling of like being able to sit down whenever she wants and she can read a book on her own. And I think she's got this whole rich world just waiting there for her. Yeah. And part of me is impatient. Like, you're going to love this. Let's do this. You know, but it's like, the second it becomes more about me and my goals, uh, I, I, that's, uh, I think that's a little bit of a failure in my, my own, my own view. Yeah. And it, like, they feel that too, right? Like they, they feel that pressure um, and feel your like, you know, I don't know if it's disappointment or whatever, but they feel that. And then, yeah, you don't want, you don't want your kid to get that feeling from you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cause the time together is precious. Right. And if it's all about, if they're stressed out about something like that, uh, that maybe sullies the time together a little bit, you know? Yeah. I'm like recalling. Sorry, go Sorry. ahead. There you go. I, say, I mean, I re recognize I'm a little bit naive. I'm, I'm a, we, I'm a new dad, relatively speaking, and I, I've never done this before. So I'm speaking, I realize I'm a bit naive in all this and uh, there's a long journey ahead with potential struggles and, and, and whatnot. But at this point in time, I'm enjoying, she's at just this really exciting age where she's at the beginning of this amazing learning journey. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to experience it with her. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how do you, how do you achieve kind of, um, let's call it work-life balance? Like you're, you're a teacher, so you're, you know, nine to five, I'm sure. Um, and then you come home and that's your time with your child. How do you, how do you kind of achieve that balance? Um, I, I don't know, you know, I think, you know, I work in a profession, a lot of people are drawn into education, you know, that's their passion. And so I think for a lot of teachers, it's really hard to just leave it at work and come home. And I don't want to say it's not my passion, but it's, it's not something I, I aspire to be my whole life. I take it seriously and uh, I want to be good, but I also like, yeah, I love spending time with my daughter. And so it's, I don't know. It's just, I don't find it that hard. I guess, my partner and my daughter might say otherwise, because I probably talk a lot about work <laughs> on that phone, but I don't find it that difficult to leave it. And I've got other interests that I would say are my passions, like music. Uh, I play in a band. Uh, we're called Agassi. We just recorded this last weekend, actually. Right. I saw some pictures and you were, you were playing one of your guitars. That's right. I played actually a couple of the guitars I've made, which is another passion of mine. So I guess I've, I've, my life is balanced with different interests and not a lot, and not a lot of time in the day to accomplish it all. So you kind of have to compartmentalize yourself a bit if, if you want to get various things done. So how, yeah, you do have, you know, you've got this hobby or, and maybe becoming more than a hobby, right? Building guitars, you've got Agassi, you're recording. So you've got some new material coming out. Um, like how important is it to you to have, maybe this goes back to our previous conversation about that sense of self, but how important is that to you in your experience as a parent to have your own kind of stuff, your own hobbies and things like that? Oh, I think it's, I think it's really important as a parent and also as a teacher, because if you're just one thing, um, 
I don't, I, oh, I don't even know how to express this. I just feel like, I think I feel like, this is me and my high horse. I think if you wanna be a good teacher or you wanna be a good parent, you need to be a complete person. And you can't just be one thing. If you're just one thing, I don't know. It's just um, like, what's informing you as a parent? What's informing you as a teacher? If that's all you do, you know, I think you need to be informed by your interests, other interests. Uh, there's, you know, there's a big life and a big world out there to experience. And I think those experiences are, are important. And uh, I think there's lots of different ways to grow as a person, but if you, if you're just one thing and you define yourself as just one thing, um, I don't, I just, I don't know if that's, I guess everyone's got their own way of going about their life. But for me, yeah. I just feel like that's, that's not the way I operate. Do you think there's like pressure to put those things to the side? Do you feel that sort of like societally or? Yeah. Um, I, I realize it's out there. Yeah. I don't know if I feel the pressure, you know, I, um, yeah. Like you've, you've, you've dealt with it. You, that you found that sort of balance for you. Right. Like I, I would say, yeah, I don't know, like in my own experience, I don't know that I've necessarily felt the pressure to put, like, put those things aside, focus on being a dad, but you, you, you do sometimes feel like, at least for me, like, Oh, sometimes I make a decision between like my family and my hobby or, you know, my thing. So you have to kind of figure out that balance, right. Where. Yeah. Yeah. And my partner, Mandy and I, we have a very good balance where, cause we both have these really intense interests outside of work and parenting. Oh. And we make an effort to give, give each other time for that. And my daughter's very aware of that. And even when I'm hanging out with my daughter, I mean, very often I'll strap on my guitar and I'm playing away, right. which often drives her crazy because she just wants me to be playing Lego with her. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I, <laughs> I'm just playing my guitar all the time. But um, I don't know. I think it's kind of good for her to, to see her parents as creative people who are interested sure. in other things other than her. So hopefully this is good as an only child. Hopefully it's good for her sense of self and how, you know, she's not the center of the universe. You know what I mean? Maybe that's just my way of rationalizing a spending too much time with my own interests but no I think like I don't know your kids like to see you happy and you doing things that make you happy too and then they're kind of you know whether they are interested in it or not they're I I don't know my experience has been by the virtue of the fact that you're interested in it they they think it's cool they just want to they're curious what are you up to yeah and I yeah and I see that and uh um you know my daughter used to hate everything to do with guitars um it just drove it she just didn't like it i didn't like the sound and yep. that's that's starting to change and now she like she knows i'm really into building guitars and so she'll actually when sometimes when she sits down and draws she'll draw a guitar cool. and it's just like she'll get some of the details really accurate like she'll have the right number of tuning pegs for a six string guitar and and just things like that and like oh you're you're actually paying attention that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> That's neat. So she, yeah, she was just not, not into it before. Hey, like your yeah, music and anything. And it might have more, had more to do with the fact that, well, she just wanted me 24 seven to just right. do whatever she wants to do. And that, that might've been that, who knows, but um, 
lately I find like she really wants me to build her a guitar and she seems interested cool. in me learning how to play or play piano or, or just do some kind of music. So it, it's really neat to see her interests grow and develop. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really fun, like I feel like at this age, like that kind of five to six, that's where you really start to see that, right? They kind of, part of it is they're, they kind of make their own friends at school and stuff too. And they kind of all of a sudden have this personality that isn't completely 100% shaped by you and, yeah, you know, whoever their caregivers are. Yeah, and they have this life that is separate from us. You know, she spends mm. a lot, like she goes uh, to a daycare as well as to kindergarten for half the day. So there's a good chunk of the Monday to Friday week where she's got a different life (laughs) that we're not really a part of and and classic kid when we ask her about her day at the end of the day she doesn't she has nothing to say yeah which is kind of cool in a way you know she's it's almost like no this that's that's my world and i'll let you in but it's up to me yeah and uh you know it's kind it's hard because it's hard but it's also really kind of special to to see that yeah, that's, that's interesting. I know there's been lots of times my wife and I are like, you, you ask like, how was kindergarten today? What'd you do today? What did you learn about today? And it's like, no, oh, I don't remember. I don't, yeah, nothing, you know, yeah. and it can be a little bit frustrating, but you're right. It's kind of neat. Like that's their own little world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? You kind of mentioned a couple things. So you're building guitars, Agassi, you're recording. Yeah, we recorded four songs. It's been a long time coming. We, uh, we originally booked, I think in March, but with the various lockdowns, they come and go, it, it couldn't happen the first time. And it almost didn't happen this time because they, um, the government introduced some new restrictions about a week ago. Okay. And we were all just like, well, for sure, they're going to shut this down, but no, they didn't. So we were lucky to get in there, but we haven't been able to jam as much. Um, over the last year right. so uh, it was really nice to get in and record four songs these songs that we've had them forever they feel like old it's nice to get them recorded and documented and, and we're excited to move on and start writing some, some new stuff if we can ever <laughs> get back in the same room again because right now um for the next month it's not, not permitted right right yeah it's like anybody who's who's doing like certainly we talked to lots of musicians right and it's like everybody's in the same boat, like having to come up with ways to do virtual shows and, you know, releasing albums kind of into the ether, with no ability to tour and all that kind of stuff. So it's a weird yeah. time to be a musician. So do any, any plans on when those songs are going to be available? I think we're thinking maybe, um, maybe by the fall. Okay. You know, I, I love playing in this band cause it's, it's, um, having played in a band for a living, which was great. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's the dream. <laughs> but having now playing in a band where my living is not dependent on it, it's just like we can just take it as it goes, and um, it's pretty easy going. And we don't have to make any plans. We don't tour, and we don't have any plans or care to tour. We just do it for the love of it, and uh, it's yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Awesome. And so, tell me about Strange Earth Guitars too. Where where are you at with that now? That's it. Seems like. I, like it wasn't that long ago when you were kind of like building your first guitar. I think I yeah. was following that on your Instagram account. And now it seems like it's kind of taking off. You said it's become an obsession. Yeah, it did. And, you know, um, yeah, so I started, uh, it's been a couple of years now, not very long. Two years ago, I decided to build 
my first guitar and I uh, picked up just basic kind of hand tools. And basically I just wanted to make a clone of the guitar I'd always had. I've only ever had one guitar really. It's a Gibson SG, which I had the neck replaced on at one point. But anyway, I just loved it so much. I wanted another one. Cause I mean, even when I was in propaganda, I only ever had one guitar. And I was mm -hmm. like, I, I should have two guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I have two guitars when I was in the band? Like if I broke a string, I'd have to, anyways, I was a bit late on that. So yeah, I decided to learn. I had been interested in a while, in it for a while. And I just decided to go for it. I have to be, I have to say actually that kind of attitude that the, just, just go for it. Uh, Todd in, in the band, it was really an inspiration for me getting to know the way he operates. And like, he's just so focused on, his passions, whether it's art or bass playing, or uh, I guess it used to be uh, jujitsu and things like that. His commitment and his focus to improve and to grow, uh, being around that, it was super inspiring. And, and, and I think it rubbed off on me because I just one day just decided I'm going to go for it. This likely will be a disaster, but I'm going to go for it. And it wasn't a disaster. The guitar works fine. Now, after I've built five now, I, I, I play that guitar and it's, still, it's fine and it works, but it's like, oh man, like, what was I thinking with that? And yeah, you know, I done this things I've since learned and I feel like I've grown really fast just because I have this intense interest and I'm, whenever I have time to myself, that's all I think about or all I do is try to get better at building. And um, so it's happening fast and I just really want to keep doing it. And the, I guess the next step, you know, I built five guitars for myself. That's ridiculous. I don't need <laughs> five guitars. And uh, so I just, I, I think I might try to reach out to some local people uh, and just see if they're interested in helping me continue with my education. And uh, in return, they'd get a custom guitar and cool. just keep growing and keep, keep learning. That's, that's the plan. Well, that's amazing. Um... So one thing about your guitar is like, it seems like you're kind of incorporating like the concept of kind of sustainability and stuff like that as well. So can you chat about that a little bit? Yeah, that's part of the process. And that's what I've, I've kind of discovered about myself as a builder is that that's what I want to do. And I've been the last few builds I've, um, on my last build, especially I used reclaimed um, <clears throat> green ash from a tree. You know, all the green ash trees are, being killed by the emerald ash borer insect which is an invasive species and like they predict they project that in the next couple decades all the ash trees are going to be gone crazy so it's just it's a tree that had to be cut down because it was diseased and i just bought a board of, of of it and um and i'm just and i try to use either reclaim stuff like that and also just more if not local then at least you know bioregional you know, North American hardwoods like maple uh, to build with. It's, I mean, is it the same as building with like something like a rosewood? Probably not. And any luthier would probably tell you, well, rosewood, you got to use woods like that for fretboards or whatnot. But you know what? Like my attitude anyways is like, do we deserve rosewood? <laughs> or does the rosewood deserve to exist in its forest? Because rosewood takes a long time to grow. Uh, and when you're cutting that tree down, you're undoing like hundreds or at least decades, if not hundreds of years of a living thing growing. Yeah. And uh, um, I don't like that. <laughs> and I don't think we need to, 
especially with electric guitars, uh, I feel like you can have a fine sounding electric guitar, if not great sounding electric guitar using woods grown close to home and not cut down necessarily for the purpose to become something, right. uh, but cut down because it was diseased or maybe you're reclaiming an old piano or an old piece of furniture. You know, I feel like there's all these options we could be doing as guitar builders that are a little more friendly to the earth. <clears throat> so that's kind of my approach. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's awesome. I have to admit, I've never really thought about that before. And just like you said, you're just like so focused, you know, you want the best guitar, you got to get, yeah, the Rosewood fretboard, you got to, you know, get all that, that stuff that, you know, once you plug it into your amp and you run it through a distortion pedal or whatever, does it really make a big difference? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's right. all these elements that add up to tone <clears throat> for right. sure. And, and maybe it does sound better. You know, and this, certainly with acoustic guitars, those yeah. woods, those exotic woods, I'm sure they sound better. But then, like I say, like, do we deserve that? Yeah. Uh, is it, is yeah. it worth it? Like, what's the cost? Um, and I feel like the cost is it, the cost of, of cutting these beautiful trees down that grew for so long. It's not worth it. There's better options out there. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, I wish you the best with that. Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and um, talk to us on the Rad Dad Show and share your experience. It's been really great talking to you. Um, any kind of words of wisdom for dads out there, maybe new dads out there with your you know recent experience in that department? Well, from my own experience, you know, you may feel self-doubt. You may feel misery even. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're likely feeling love and you're likely feeling this intense sense of responsibility. I just think take it one day at a time. And the most important thing is the time spent with, with your child and um, the connection, like for, forging those connections. I think let's just start from there. And we can, I don't think you can go wrong. All right, that was David Gillis on the Rad Dads Show. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you'd drop us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us wherever you get your podcasts or give us a follow on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show. And on Facebook and Twitter at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads is first and foremost a community organization aimed at positive parenting. And you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.